Welcome to Coffee at an Interview. I'm Jacqueline Pena, and today I'm here with Darren and Margie Fink from Transfiguring Adoption. We're going to share some amazing tools, tips, and just information that I think we're all in need of hearing that we don't get a lot of exposure to uh, when we talk about adoption, foster care, and, and raising or living with children who are not our own birth children. So Darren and Margie, thank you for being here with me today. Um, thank you for having cool. us. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. A Friday morning with coffee. Uh, I'm going to toss it to you both if you want to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves and then tell us a little bit about transferring adoption. What is this company, this nonprofit? Go ahead and start, Margie. All right. My name is Margie Fink. I am co-founder, Transfiguring Adoption. So our goal is to nurture growth in foster and adoptive families. And the main way we do that is through using books, movies, video games, everyday play, even things like vacations to help caregivers help children process trauma, overcome, build healthy connections and relationships. I'm Darren Fink, and uh, what I'll add to that is that Margie and I uh, bring over a decade of experience being foster and adoptive parents to the table. We've also helped, uh, we've run other nonprofit organizations and helped with nonprofit organizations where after school programs. So we've, we've worked a lot with uh, children from traumatic pasts um, together, and also uh, Margie has her degree in psychology. And she's used that in quite a different few different areas. And she's um, doesn't talk about it a whole lot, but she's actually created curriculum for several workshops and given workshops and teaching sessions to professionals, educators, and uh, other foster and adoptive parents with that. And uh, I'll throw in that I am originally an art major. Uh, I have my degree in art. I also have some counseling training. And I have authored um, multiple children's books. Wow, this is like a whole toolkit of things that you're bringing to the table <laughs> as a tech team. Some of it's trial by fire stuff. So, yes. <laughs> back had, in uh, 2008, 2009, we went from zero to four kids in a few months' time. So, and we've parented probably around nine total up to seven at a time. So lots of um, just kind of being thrown in and, and seeing what happens. And I will say with his creativity, that's what really helped us navigate a lot of that and help the kids in our home and kind of birth transfiguring adoption. What made you start that leap, the adoption leap? And then what made you take that leap into transfiguring adoption? So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's not, it's a common story. We, Margie and I, neither one could have children. And so for us, uh, it, it, there was a grieving process, but I think our grieving process was, was shorter than other couples that we've spoken with, um, just because we always had, we yeah. always wanted to adopt. Yeah. Um, prior to finding out that we couldn't have birth children, um, in my childhood, even my mom had custody of one of my cousins for a while. Um, we lived in South Korea for a while and did a lot of volunteer work in the orphanages. Uh, my dad died when I was very young. And I think the idea, the concept of being an orphan was very real to me. And I saw, had some experiences with just other kids who were in foster care. So it was something I always had a heart for, even from a really young age. So it was kind of like the natural, like, we couldn't have children. So it was kind of like the kick in pants to do what we wanted to do anyways. 
So it was and kind I of just like the natural, let's just do this. And then once we started the process, um, it was, I mean, I, I, we've had someone ask us on an interview um, that was a, an adult adoptee was doing um, a documentary series and was asking us some different questions about the our our change of our, our ideas about foster care and adoption over the years since we had been doing it. And, and one thing that I think has greatly changed for us is like a lot of people, I, I think, and I even told someone this yesterday, I think if you asked um, me 10 years ago, I think I would deny this. And I think I would say, absolutely not. This was not me. But but I think subconsciously it was. A lot of people that, it's, it's just common knowledge, I think, that a lot of people that get into foster care or adoption want to give children, um, they want to love them and they want to get that love in return. And there is a little bit of, I'm going to save this child from a horrible situation where um, this side of the journey and having worked with a lot of families, um, I definitely don't see it that way anymore. I see it more as it's helping, I'm helping a family um, going through a really difficult, dark time in their life. Um, if I'm fostering, I'm, I'm really hoping that I can help enough so that that family remains intact. Um, if there, if, we're, if the family isn't going to remain intact, I'm still trying to keep them in connection with each other. I'm still trying to help them. I'm, I'm trying to get the child, I'm journeying along with that child through a dark time in their life. It's not about me giving love and stability, although I am doing that. And it's not about me getting love in return. It's about me walking with that child through this really dark moment in their life because they don't, they're unable to have their, their mom or their dad with them to walk through that. So uh, to answer the other part of your question, it's so transfiguring adoption um, from that was birthed um, when we started to see, we were reading actually the Harry Potter series with our adoptive children around the dinner table and we started to see that our kids were able to relate with the characters, talk about their past trauma and situations by you by talking about the characters. And as we the kids wanted to make a family blog to communicate with other families about what they were learning and what they thought they could learn. And long story short, um, that caught on. We had no idea that we would hit a niche. And a lot of people became interested in this whole idea of using books to uh, to process these these tough topics and tough conversations. And so it grew into Transfiguring Adoption, which Margie said earlier, it, now we use um, all media, books, movies, video games, and everyday play to show parents how to process past trauma. Your children helped, your adopted children helped create this pathway that's now helping so many other individuals who are fostering or adopting or caring for children who they didn't give birth to, not their birth children. And it's amazing that they were part of the process. So tell me more, what kinds of things do you do in transfiguring adoption? What kinds of um, materials do you use in the process? So our main service that we provide that we've, I mean, it, it organically and naturally grew out of what we were already doing is we uh, have a media re review service that people can can join up with on our website. And it's it's amazing because it's, I mean, immediately when I say that, that we have reviewers that go to the movie and they look at the movie or like a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, it's like common sense media or it's like these other websites 
that, um, I mean, I, I've seen one of these websites, good gravy, hats off to their reviewers. Cause I know that they like, they have like at, at the second, like they'll tell you like five minutes and 45 seconds into the movie, someone says this word and that like they have a whole, and I'm like, wow, that is fantastic. I don't know how they have, I, I don't have the energy for that, <laughs> but, um, but how we're different from these other websites that are looking at that stuff is those websites are looking at children from traditional homes and traditional upbringing. So those are parents that are trying to keep their children from being exposed to certain words, to certain themes. Our children are coming from traumatic backgrounds. So they've already been exposed to this stuff. So there's no, while we care if they're using that language or they're, they're being exposed, it's not as imperative as other parents because they've already been exposed. Mm -hmm. What we're sending reviewers to do and what we train reviewers to do is to go and look at for uh, traumatic themes. So things that are going to trigger a child and make them mentally and emotionally relive um, a traumatic event from their past. So, you know, that might be like, uh, like I'm thinking of the the movie Dumbo, uh, not the cartoon, but the new movie that came out. And Dumbo is, um, you know, he's he's constantly having to see if he can get back to his mom. And it's like, he it looks like he's going to get to be reunited with his mom. Nope, not going to be reunited with his mom. It looks like, I mean, that's like our, like kids in foster care, right? There's such a parallel there. Like, oh, yeah, you might get to go back home. Oh, nope, something changed. Oh, maybe now. Oh, nope. Um, and that can be really traumatic. And for most parents, we're not thinking about that when we go to see a movie or we're not thinking in a Disney movie that they use killing off a parent in almost every movie to really pull at your heartstrings. For, uh, for the general public, we're thinking, wow, that really tugged at my heartstring. For our kids, it's more of a reality and more of a trigger. And it's, it's more real life than, than it needs to be for them. And so our review, media review service, we're looking at that, trying to find the trauma triggers in there. And then we're also uh, looking at the healthy discussion themes in there. So what can parents talk about with their kids um, to be able to work past trauma or work through issues um, to, to better engage with their child? So that's probably the biggest one. Margie, do you have anything to say on that? I think you covered that one quite well. It's it's an amazing service. We sometimes we've even used it as a family ourselves. Uh, you know, in the beginning, we were creating the reviews and our kids were helping us. And now we've got other reviewers that do it. And sometimes we've sat down and watched a movie. And I know Darren, not too long ago, used the newer Doolittle movie um, and just kind of pulled out some of the questions that the reviewer had talked about and had some amazing conversations um, with our kids through that. But um, another thing that we're doing a lot of is creating workshops. So we have workshops, some are aimed more at educators, some are aimed more at caregivers, professionals. Uh, we kind of tweak them for different avenues, whether it's um, dealing with trauma in the, in the classroom, how does it impact learning? What are some things teachers need to look out for, ways they can teach um, to help kids who've been traumatized? What are some things parents can do, whether that's um, using our media review service or looking at media, how you can do that organically in a safe, non-judgmental, non-threatening way to use media to help kids deal with everyday life. And then uh, things like vacationing with kids with special needs. How do you do that? And, you know, using kind of our own lived experiences and experiences of other families, how do you 
how do you go to the theme park with a child with autism or a child with trauma? Um, because it's different. Every family wants that dream vacation um, and to make those memories. But for a lot of families, um, they go on that vacation. Uh, we did it in some of our early days coming home with some really traumatic memories and not so much fun and going, will we ever vacation again? Um, so different workshops that we can take different people through um, is and something we've I really been working on. The big part about the workshops and the media review service too is we're doing, so everything that we do, we're coming at this whole concept of bibliotherapy and bibliotherapy is something that we stumbled upon when we were reading to our kids and discovered they could they could talk about their own lives through books and through the characters. And what it and, and let me if, if you guys are still listening right now, like you have to catch this because it's it's like we've even had someone that took one of our workshops where we dive into this. And um, she came away and she's like, I've been following Transfiguring Adoption for a couple of years now online. And now that you guys did this workshop and taught this whole concept, it's blown my mind. Like, she's like, my mind is blown and my whole life is rocked. Like, she's like, it's making such a difference in how I'm parenting now. Um, so bibliotherapy is not a new thing. It's just something that we stumbled upon. It's literally when it was first being used, it was used instead of being medicated or instead, instead, or instead of medically being treated, you were asked to discuss literature to overcome your issues and problems. It, was, it goes all the way back to the time of Aristotle. And the example that I always use is uh, how we can use it is with our, our service is we use the little mermaid. So mm -hmm. uh, we have a little girl, maybe that she's in, she's in foster care, maybe she's been adopted, she's in my home. She comes from a history of not having enough food in her home and she starts hoarding things in her bedroom. She starts hoarding food. So for us, I mean, I just want your listeners to think about it. If you go into a room all the time and it's smelly and there's decaying food and there's like, what do you do? Like, I, I mean, it, right. Who can handle, like, who wants to deal with that? Right. Like um, traditional you're, you're parenting, you're, you're giving consequences. You're maybe directly confronting the issue with the child. Um, but for our and children, they're coming away feeling unsafe, scared, mm -hmm. rejected. Um, and like, there's something wrong with me. I am a problem. I am a mistake. Yeah. And I mean, and our kids are, and, and, and to add to what Margie said, our kids are just trying to survive, right? Like they, they need, they, in their head, they're thinking I need food because I never had enough food. So I need a stash of food in case food runs out. And for us, we're thinking the furniture is ruined. I have to replace the carpet now. My house is getting damaged. So, I mean, there's a lot of tension on both sides. And of course, you're going to blow up at each other and you're going to ground your child and you're, you're going to yell at each other. So the, the way that, that bibliotherapy helps is now we're going to, during our normal family movie night, we're going to watch The Little Mermaid. We're not doing it because we're trying to prove a point. We're not trying to do what, we're simply just watching The Little Mermaid and having fun as it should be. And we watch and Ariel has like this whole horde full of, people stuff, human stuff in a cave. So she's a hoarder. So what happens now is that after I've watched this movie, organically in conversation, I can talk with my child about why is Ariel hoarding? Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? Did she attack? Like we can talk about the whole issue of hoarding. And what happens is now my child and I are on the same team and we're attacking Ariel, who is a fictitious character who can't get hurt. So we're attacking the issue. And then later on, when I find a hoard of food again, 
I can kind of bring up that conversation instead of yelling and say, hey, remember when we talked about that? Is this kind of like that? Like, is it, and we can work through things in a mm -hmm. safe environment, judgment-free environment, and we can get a lot further ahead. So the workshops and the media review service are all coming at things from that point of view to show parents how to really attack things for that. And it's even leading into um, our new books that we have coming out. We're showing parents how to use play. Oh, nice. so, we're yeah. going to get to the books in a minute yeah. and, and extending from, from movies uh, to other things like play. But I want to say you were already answering some of the questions that I had in my head. So the thing is, I love the fact that instead of me talking about the hoarding, for example, the food hoarding as your problem or our problem and talking about you and trying to work, through, you know, you're instead having this opportunity to talk about it through another character and then when something happens and and deal and learn together through that character and build those lessons together and understanding and processing that difficult information that's really easier to do when you're looking at someone else than yourself and then later on making the connection to what's happening at home when you see the hoarding for example the food in, in the room again I love that process and I think that's a technique that we could use for a lot of things in life not just for the situation but it, it's it's a it's a beautiful process as um, bibliotherapy is something I hadn't worked with before and ha having an English lit background I can see how powerful it could be in so many different life situations when working with people. Um, and, and so I, I love that piece of it. The other thing is there's there's a lot there, there's a lot that we as as the adults need. Uh, I think I think children and teenagers might even feel more comfortable talking about some of the trauma and some of the situations. Um, you know, they have they might, you know, we need to provide some outlets for that, but they might be able to express something and we are not sure ourselves, how do we handle this? How do we talk about this? How do we, um, how, how do I talk about this trauma or this kind of trauma? Or how do I even handle, you know, some of us may say, oh my God, curse words, how do I even handle that? And, and how do I have this conversation? And I love that your work focuses a lot on empowering the adults, the caretakers in really uh, navigating the conversations and empowering them to empower their foster, the foster youth in their homes. And I, I love that approach. I think it's a very unique approach and we need that kind of support so that we can carry the work forward. Yeah. And there's, an, there's, there's, there's mm -hmm. an element of the children, like normalizing experiences and being able to see characters and that, hey, I'm not alone in this. And there's other people that have gone through this because they might not be exposed to other kids in their situation. Mm -hmm. And just being able to find language or being able to point to a character, they might not be able to, like we've seen it in some of our own kids, not being able to express how they feel or what emotions they're going through or the complexities of having competing emotions and being able to point to a character and saying, that's, that's what I feel. And and developing some of that language, emotional IQ kind of skills mm -hmm. that they might be lacking in. There's exactly. so much power. The language, the emotional IQ, it, it's very, very empowering. Um, tell us a little bit more about, um, so I guess we were going to go into the books themselves, and then I wanted to talk about a couple of other related topics, but tell us more about transfiguring adoption and the toolkits that you provide, the books and other toolkits. Mostly, I'll just tell you uh, about the books that we're doing right now. And I think um, that'll be 
really interesting, I, guess, I think, for, you, for your listeners. Actually, I know it will be. Um, so our books, we started writing books, and they came out of um, just things that I created as an art major. It was really surprising to me that we had children coming into our home that didn't know how to play. And, and I know some of your listeners are probably like, oh, of course kids know how to play and, and different things. like. But it, if you have been a child that you didn't have a safe adult on duty, and you had to take the role as the adult in your home. What, what happens is play, as I found it, is almost like working out at a gym. Like your muscles either grow or they atrophy, depending on how you use them. So you have sophisticated play and you have very archaic play. And what happens that I find is a lot of kids that were coming into our homes um, at whatever age is they were having um, more archaic play because they had had to be, be the adult on duty in their home. So they didn't have a chance to use and flex that play muscle. So what happened is, is they weren't able to play games. They weren't able to do things like they, they would rather play with uh, doorknobs or like, and we're talking just things use the doorknob. Things that they had that they were exposed to that they, you know, mm -hmm. there like, are things that you think like playing with a car is innate, right? They go beep, beep, you know, you zoom around, they drive. Like a toy car, yeah. But like, if you've never played with a toy car before, that might be a projectile and give me that pen because I've seen one of those or the, or the doorknob or the car seat that I can buckle and unbuckle, like as we're driving down the interstate. You know? <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was really surprising to me. So we just started, so with our kids, we just started pretending and making up these magical creatures that lived around the house. And the creatures not only were good for pretend, but they were good for like, they would help with things like night terrors or food issues or um, sensory issues or helping them to self-regulate themselves and different things like that. And we would just do, we were just playing games. And so what happened was, is as our kids went to different therapists, the therapists were picking up on these ideas that we were using and they kept encouraging us, you need to put this in a book, you need to put this in a book. Mm -hmm. And for me, I fought it for probably about a decade because um, that's why the books are just now coming out because it, for me, they were happy moments with my children. Um, and, and if you're a foster adoptive parent or if you're working with a kiddo with adverse childhood experiences, you know that there, there are so many times where you're you're working through issues or you think you're getting somewhere and then you take two steps backwards. And so for me, I didn't want to lose those happy moments by throwing them out in the public limelight and then people being like, this is stupid. It's a, but it hasn't been the case at all. We've actually only like the critics have been very amazing with us and, and they've gotten rave reviews. But so that's what we've done. So the first book that we came out with is called A Guide to Magical Creatures Around Your Home, A Playful Engagement Guide. And it's literally just set up like a field guide where it takes you through these magic, like it explains these magical creatures that might live around your house. And it's meant to be experienced with a child and a safe, caring adult. So it's not, a, it's not just something that you give your kid and say, here, read this. It's something that you do together and you read it chapter by chapter. And it gives you, parent, I have teachers and, and I'm talking even high school teachers are adapting this to work. I would say probably upper elementary to lower middle school is what it's probably written for. But I have people saying they're adapting it quite and easily. even preschool teachers and preschool, yeah, yeah. caregivers. It, so it really, the, the big thing I keep hearing professionals and parents telling me is that it gives them enough ideas for play because they've forgotten how to play. The magic so is giving... not necessarily the book itself. In the back of the book, there's a downloadable parent guide. And so for each creature, there's at least three activities. 
Um, some of them are more crafty, some of them are more like bonding things, sensory activities, but all of them target whatever, whether it's a food issue, whether it's mm -hmm. um, a sensory issue, some like fear of water, fear of going to sleep, nightmares, those kinds of things. Each creature targets that. And then the parents can come in with these playful activities afterwards and the kids don't see this. So they're just like playing, having fun, but it's very targeted, very like it, it's, it's organic, but at the same time, the parents are specifically working towards some kind of goal. And, and just to give an example, yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And just to give an example of it, we have uh, like for we have one child that was suffering from night terrors mm -hmm. um, and other countless kids probably that, you know, that are, are <laughs> parents that are listening right now that have kids that are scared to go to sleep at night because of things that have happened to them. So we have a little creature called a dipsy toad. And he literally is just a little toad with a with a crescent moon on his forehead. And if it uh, licks you, we call like our kids would call it the dipsy kiss. If it licks you, the saliva magically gives you good dreams all night long. And so, like the funny part is, our, I can remember our kids going out and searching for this thing. All the, I mean, and our kids weren't little at the time either. Like we had some older kids, and they were just like, "Let's go find one." And they were like hours of fun. So, but. The activity that goes along with that is literally just asking a parent, hey, can you take some lavender lavender scented uh, lotion, put it in a little, like a fun container that looks like a little potion bottle or something. And then when your child is laying in bed, sit down next to them, put a little on your hand, continue the play, tell them that, that we read about this in the book, this is what it is. We're gonna, and then asking their permission. So that gives them voice. Like, can I put this on you? Can I put it on your arm? Can I put it on your head? And then you're literally just massaging this lotion into their arms, into their, their cheeks, into their forehead. And what is that doing? It's giving them a sensory experience. The lavender uh, is helping to calm them down and promoting them to go to sleep. And you're asking them, you know, do you want, do you want me to rub your hand harder? Do you want me to, so you're giving them voice. So they, they're giving permission how you how hard to touch them. And they're getting that input to the, is it the tactile, um, mm -hmm. tactile input and stuff like that. So it's, it's literally, you're just helping them go to sleep, but for them, it's a game. And it's not just, it's, we've had, I've had people say, this is awesome because my child wanted to do this and they fell right asleep. Where normally, like for a lot of parents, like sleep time, getting kids to get into bed and go to sleep is like a big deal. But because you're playing to get them into bed, it's it's easier. Um, so that's just an example of, and the whole book reads that way, where it just has different activities and stuff like that. So that one's that one's a lot of fun. That one's already out um, out great. on Amazon and on our website. Perfect, because I was going to say in in the resource I don't think it's section, not, it's kind of oh, Margie, not. Amazon's a little funky right now. There's we're doing some things with our distributors, so it's actually better to go to our website for that. Okay, and we'll we'll put the well, I was gonna say we, we'll have the resources for all of our listeners in the description with actual links taking you directly to the book and the website and any other resources related to this conversation. So that's one of the things that I love to do is put those links right there for you. Um, but there's so, you know, I can see Margie's uh, psychological magic combined with Darren's creative. Uh, you know, aspect coming together, because I was going to say in terms of just the example you gave, um, using the consent piece, 
giving uh, children a voice in, in a process. Um, all these pieces that are coming together in the toolkit for parents or for the adult or their caregivers, um, you're bringing all these different things together that are very empowering. And um, you don't see that very often. You might get the book and a website with a few tips of here's what you could do when you read the book or things of that. So here you're saying we're giving you the book which has this purpose and we're giving you this toolkit and here's some examples. And I think that will help a lot of people be able to use this even with their own kids. I just saw some great things I could use with my nieces and nephews. And <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's been tool. the fun part with that. It's, it's been fun to watch educators and just yeah. other, like we've had other parents just say, this is just good etiquette learning. Like it's just good common sense learning just for our, our own children just to learn. Mm -hmm. So it's been amazing. Um, the, the other book I'll tell you about is it comes out, it, it hasn't, so when we, when we did this, when we filmed this or recorded this together, it hasn't been released yet. It's officially being released in October 19th. Um, it's a novel called Grit's Hope. Um, this one is, the, the appeal for this one, I think, is that it's, it's for families that are coping with ACEs or foster care or adoption, but it's targeted at middle school students and possibly up to lower high school. And that's not an age range that's normally targeted with books. Usually they're little picture books for elementary school kids. But this one is targeting uh, middle school all the way up to high school uh, kids. So Grit's Hope is a fictional novel and it's taking the, the other book that we have that's a playful activity book. This one's actually a story and it's taking those characters it's putting them in a story format. We had so many people say, hey, the activity book is great. Can we like have a story with these characters so we can get to learn about them more? Like we want to we want to understand them more, see their character, see connect. how their emotions. Yeah, we want to connect with them. So that's kind of where this came from. And so uh, it's about a little boy named Gruit. He's in foster care with his two older siblings. They're moving into their new foster home and they discover that the the foster parents have a secret. They have magical creatures that live around their house. And Grit's also going to have to deal with uh, bullying in the book. And he's also going to have to deal with racial prejudice um, because he's moving to a rural community that's mostly white and he's um, of mixed race. So um, he has to deal with that at school that he doesn't look like the other kids. And one girl in particular at school, it gives him a rough time and finds out that he is in foster care and gives him an even rougher time because he's in foster care. So the fun part about it is it's a really entertaining book. So it's, it's written so that anyone can read it. This is not just a foster care adoption thing. This is adults anyone. are reading it and say it's adults not even their genre it. and they're getting hooked on it and really, really enjoying it. So, but the fun part for our family is when we're working with kids with uh, traumatic backgrounds with, with ACEs or foster care adoption is they can see themselves in the character. So they're, they're able to look at Grit and the situations he's going through and they can say, that's me. That's what I can, I understand that that's my situation and it normalizes their situation for them. So we've so far, uh, we've had folks um, even from the National Foster Care um, what am I, I'm losing the, <laughs> um, and national foster parent association. 
Mm. National Foster Parent Association has given it two thumbs up and they've said that it's amazing. Um, all the folks that are giving endorsements in right now are just say are, are, are raving about it and saying that it's it's a fantastic book. So it's I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's called coming kind out. of a mashup between um, Chronicles of Narnia and Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. So it's kind of oh, along those it. lines, you know, get that that adventure and that um, just magical fun. That's a nice yeah. little uh, comment on that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's in and right now, uh, if people do a search for it, so it's it's on social media, do a search for it. If you get in early enough, we're doing, I'm not sure how soon this is coming out, but we have a launch party that's coming out soon um, okay. for the book so that people can get, uh, they can read samples of the chapters with a group of people before the general public gets access to them. Um, we're really excited, and and if they complete everything and and go through us with the launch party, which is online, um, they will be able to uh, get the first two chapters of the next book. So they'll be able to see how the next book is going to start already. So, so there is a next book already in the yes. works. There is a next book already. Yeah. So there, if if all goes well, this is going to be a three book series. Uh, for Gruet, uh, there there is talk. Man, we I don't think we've talked about this anywhere else. <laughs> you're, you're getting you're getting some insight. Getting exclusive stuff. information. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so if depending if we'll on see, the reception, depending on the reception, which if it's going like Gruet's hope, it's going to be great. Um, so Gruet and his uh, siblings are going to have three books dedicated to their their adventures and journey through foster care. Um, if you remember the series, The Babysitter's Club, they always had like, it was like a ton of books, but it was always like there was a different babysitter each book. And so you kind of mm -hmm. had a different situation. Um, there's a potential that we're going to actually, Gruet and his family, Gruet and his siblings' adventure will end with Mr. and Mrs. Wonder, but Mr. and Mrs. Wonder will be taking more kids into their home and then a new, they'll have new adventures and new books. So we'll see. Um, it's up to you guys. If you're listening, it's up to you. Like <laughs> the, po the popularity determines it. So uh, head over and start, uh, start, start following the social media and, and hitting emojis and go nuts. <laughs> the more you go nuts, the more I'll write. <laughs> <laughs> I think that motivates us to get out there and get those bucks for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I think th these, these are powerful stories. And I know that um, our topic was around, you know, foster youth and, um, and adopted youth. And, and we've expanded to tools that I think help a broader group of caretakers, to be very honest, uh, even the aunties of the world that give about myself. <laughs> um, and, and I think that they help with a lot of uh, different challenges. And I thought this would be a good time to maybe talk about any, um, challenges top like the top challenge that you've seen in um, your foster adopted youth or in the caretaker side and um, the tools that you can have to to for those challenges or any advice for those challenges and any other advice in general for whether you're a foster youth listening to this or adopted uh, youth listening to this or a caretaker or a parent I mean this is the, your tools really can help a much greater group of people, but any advice, any top challenges and advice for those challenges and just any, any general advice for us? The top thing for caregivers that, that I can see that happens a lot is 
the the sense of isolation. So there are a lot of times that I'm seeing caregivers so many times, and I mean, I think Margie and I are guilty of it too, is you just, you, you think you need to have it all together or you think because you don't hear anyone else talking about certain issues or different things. And so you think you have to have it all together. You don't think, or you've tried to be vulnerable before and people have kind of thrown it back at your face um, and given you like, you know, the, the answer is like, well, you knew you were getting into this, you signed up for it and, or, or different responses. And then so that just makes you never want to share again. And you become this island and isolate yourself. And that's when things are going to start to go wrong, because that's when you're going to get depressed. That's when you're going to resent your kids. That's when uh, th there's just nothing good that comes of it. So I would have to say for, to, to all my, my caregivers that are listening, um, whether that's foster care, whether that's adoption, whether you have a kiddo that is autistic, whether you're going through a messy divorce and you're figuring out life as a single parent now, you have to share your experiences and find those people that will listen and not make you feel like a horrible person and then hold on to those people and then maybe let some other people go and, and grieve that loss. Um, but you have to find those people that you can talk to and they're not going to shirk away from stuff. Um, as far as um, I'll throw out to, um, you know, adoptees, we as as foster and adoptive parents are constantly listening for your voices and former foster youth too, because we don't want to make the same mistakes that other people have made while parenting you. And so one thing that I would advise them is um, we have, Margie and I have so many uh, adult adoptees and former foster youth that we ask questions and we're going to do a project or we're going to do, we ask them questions like, is this okay? Is this, are we being, are we being relevant? Are we being you know, sensitive to issues? Make sure that you understand how you're communicating yourself and make sure that you're able to articulate what adopt, adoptive children and foster mm -hmm. children need and be able to communicate it well and without the pain of your past. Um, mm -hmm. Be able to do that well because we're listening and we want to hear um, we want to hear what you have to say. Communication is key, but I know it's one of the most difficult um, things for, for a lot of us is it's mm -hmm. communication. And if you're a foster youth or you're an adopted youth, and especially if you had trauma before, I can see how it can be complicated, but I, but it's so important for this relationship. We're working together. Mm -hmm. So communication is definitely. Absolutely. Key. I will say like one of the reasons we really, really, felt the passion to do some of a lot of the things we've been doing is that 50% of caregivers quit the first year. Um, mm -hmm. Like foster parents get licensed and it, it's, they feel ill-equipped and overwhelmed and they give up. And when that happens, um, those kids get bounced again and we add more trauma and it, there's so much compounding fact, so many compounding factors to that. Um, and we see why it happens. Like I can 100% identify and, and say, like, I, I can see how you can go, you know what, I, I can't do this. Um, and, and a lot of times people will start to say, hey, I want to do this. And they'll ask, start asking us some questions. And we talk to them a little bit about some of the things they might experience. And they're like, oh, hey, I don't think I want to do that. And we're like, you know what, maybe you shouldn't, because not everybody should do it. Um, you know, in all honesty, there are days when we go, maybe we weren't cut out for this, you know? Um, but I think 
you know, there are so many ways to support um, and to be involved without necessarily being the direct caregiver. Um, but I think a lot of times there are books, there are resources out there. As the caregiver, you have to be like a lifelong learner. You have to be flexible. You have to um, and always be learning more and more and more. How can I advocate? How can I help? How can I, you know, there's there's so much that's coming out just even in the last couple of decades, um, learning about trauma, learning about how it impacts behavior um, and, and shifting some of those perspectives from, you know, this behavior into, you know, instead of a what's wrong with you into what happened to you. Um, what happened to me? Because as the caregiver, I have to understand my own trauma and deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, we'll look at not just the kids' books, but we do have a part of our resources that are, what are some great books for the caregivers? What are books that will, one, you know, kind of help you understand the why and, and the science and the neuroscience and all those kinds of things. And then the practical, how do I parent this child? Because it's, different. We have to come at it in a different way. Um, so that's another part of one of the things that we do. We have a whole list of resources for caregivers that are directly, you know, it's the A to Z of therapeutic parenting book and the connected child and adopting the hurt child, things like that, um, that we're looking at for the caregivers to go, okay, how can I learn myself to help empower this child? That statistic was, um, I, I didn't realize, I, I hadn't even thought about that, how we add trauma if we decide to become a foster parent and then realize six months, a year in, we can't do this. And then the child is displaced again and, and all that. And I'm also thinking some of us have our own trauma and our own things that we need to work through. And we might not have done that. And if we can't uh, look at that ourselves and work through some of that, or at least be able to communicate what we're thinking or feeling as we approach different situations, it just makes the whole relationship much more complicated in the whole process. So I think it's important to know that you can contribute in other ways. If you're not ready to be a foster parent and you've been thinking about it, you can um, work with nonprofits, you can do other kind of work, but you don't have to do that yet. And to look at yourself as well, you're part of this relationship and you need to look at that. And, and again, going back to Darren's former comment communication, not just, not just the child, but also the caregiver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great advice. Um, any other thoughts, any other advice or final thoughts? Is there something you want to share that I didn't get to ask, but you're like, oh, this is very important. We need to get that out there. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to let everyone know that, uh, so our media review service that we have on our website, um, you can get to it by going to transfiguringadoption.com forward slash subscribe. If you would go there and uh, click on the premium membership subscription, enter the coupon code first free. That's the number That's one, number one S -T. S -T -F -R -E -E. Yep. Number one S T F R E E all capitalized. Uh, enter that into the coupon code spot and you get one month free to go around our database and check things out. You can download things, cancel it before the month's over. You still get to keep all the stuff you downloaded. So that, that would be amazing. Also, uh, go over to our, I'd love for everyone to follow our social media 
Um, for transfiguring adoption, it's um, at transfigureadopt, T-R-A-N-S-F-I-G-U-R, adopt. And we're on Facebook, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, TikTok. We're also uh, Magical Creatures, the books. Um, you can go follow them. It's Magical Creatures without the last E. And um, follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. That would help out a lot. That's amazing that we can be a part of both worlds on social media. And all of these links will be listed in the description section. So you can go into the description, see the links, depending on the software you're using or the platform, you'll be able to click on the links or just copy and paste into your web browser. Absolutely. Wow. Margie, Darren, this is this was a great way to start my day. Let me tell you, I had a cup of coffee, jumped into this amazing podcast interview and learned so much about uh, this, the world of foster care adoption, but more about uh, communication, support and working together, the child and the caretaker in any kind of relationship. But I, I keep saying that, but I'm also thinking, you know, as a teacher with my students, as uh, you know, what, maybe I'm working in an after school program and I have students there as well. I mean, there are tools here that can just work across so many different platforms and scenarios. The aunties of the world, like me who <laughs> love to have kids sleep over all the time. And there are things that we could do there as well. Uh, the work you're doing is absolutely amazing. It's very unique, uh, the bibliotherapy aspect, the combination of the the workshops and the books um, really bring it together and you're empowering both youth and the caretakers. And I, I just have to say, again, it's a unique approach and the information is very useful. No, it doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. We're all caretakers in some way. And I think that this can be used in different formats. So thank you so much for being here today with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been fun being with everyone. Yeah, it's been an amazing day. I've, uh, I'm looking forward to magical creatures. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, definitely come. I can't wait for everyone to see, to go on adventures with Grit. So definitely head over to magicalcreatures.com and, and without the last E and check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>